Yeah. I know. Yeah. Uh, so this is Joshua Bell with the kilt and the cloth um, in the Tuesday morning Bible study as we continue the gospel of Matthew. And I thought it'd be good in the midst of this, uh, right before we started this recording, we, uh, we were having a conversation about um, the spread of Christianity. And uh, just, I want to, as we're doing these recordings and as people are listening to them from our church, one of the things that's really important to remember is, is that all of the gospel churches were not thousands of people. I mean, most of the churches that are hearing this are less than 100. But I want you to think about how much influence a human being can have, right? So if I, let's say just me, Joshua Bell, finds out about Jesus, and I, I fall in love with the ideas that Jesus teaches, to love one another, to, to take care of the widows and orphans, to, to feed the hungry, right? These, these precepts, I'm not going to keep it quiet. So I'm going to share it with everybody I come around, you know, like I, so if, let's say I'm a, a baker. Yeah, this works. I'm a baker in Ephesus. And, uh, and I find out about this uh, Jesus guy and <clears throat> um, all of my, uh, customers come in to talk to me about uh, to get bread. I might make my bread that day with the cross in the middle. And they're going to come back and ask me the next day, well, what's this cross in the middle of your bread? Well, I just I heard about this guy named Jesus and he was really cool and he died on a cross. And for some reason, I decided to bake the bread this way today. I mean, it's, just, it's that organic. But think of how many people I'm talking to. And so then those people go back and say, hey, did you hear what Josh the Baker did? He did this weird thing with the, and then they start asking questions. That's how the, the Christian movement really began. Within the non-elite groups of people, all hung around with each other. They all talked with each other about the atrocities that they saw every single day, which totally, by the way, segues into our very first part of the scripture that we read today, which Remember, they're, they're dirt poor. They're, they're a starving group of people. So when the Gospel of Matthew is writing that Jesus is going to replace the empire that they live in, the very first thing he's going to start talking about after he's established himself with the miracles, after he's established himself as, as, a, as, as a leader, <clears throat> he's going to do the things that the people need the most. And that's feed them physically. They're starving. But the problem with this is, is it's a culture that I, I don't like to use this language softly, but they hoard what they have because they might have to leave quickly. So before we begin the feeding of the 5,000, this has been a, a very interesting discussion in the academic world. You have one group of people academically that have this idea that say, if it says it, it's what happened. And, and then there's no discussion or argument, which, okay, I mean, if that's what you need, great. I like this idea that I wanted to present to you. What if the feeding of the 5,000 was the first example of a fellowship dinner <laughs> and Jesus started the meal? What if, what if Jesus says, you have enough to feed these 5,000 people? And just look, we have these 
loaves and we have these fish. Mm, what do you have, Tammy? Or what do you have, Kim? Sally, let, let's, let's see what we all bring to this. If I'm willing to share these loaves and fish with you, what are you willing to share with others? You see, it's more than him just feeding 5,000 people. It's more of what if, what if we fed each other? How would that look? What would that look like? Um, and so this feeding of the 5,000 is, if you look at it from an imperial world, we don't have to be relying upon Rome. We can take care of each other. And so it, it changes the dynamic when you switch it going from, well, he feeds 5,000 people. Well, there are lots more of those people in the Roman Empire. Remember us having the conversation about what would happen if a baker decides to find out about Jesus, he has this impact with others. Well, if he has this impact with others, think of how many people 5,000 would change. I mean, it just also happens to be coincidental that there's 5,000, you know, the same amount of uh a soldiers in a battalion, you know, like there's just, uh, I don't remember exactly the military term, but that's exactly a, a military term for a certain amount of people in a, in this unit. So you become soldiers of God, but you don't need a sword or a spear. You, you offer them what they need, food, living and actual and it's a number they can relate to. And it's a number they can relate there to. probably wasn't somebody on a rock county. No, no, it's <laughs> nobody's county. It's just a whole lot of people. You look out, there's a sea of people. Even when I was in Jerusalem, the fascinating part is this, the story of the feeding of the 5,000. This is on the side of this mountain that you're looking down. And, and there's this, this whole thing that Palestine has said, this is what happened. Jesus was standing up here on top of this mountain. And as he's talking about it, he's looking down at the people and they all just start passing the food around as if it's a picnic. And they still believe that, which is awesome. I'm not, I'm not going to argue with that. You know, it's just a, it's a, it's a beautiful story. It does say 5,000 men besides women yes. and children. That besides, that's that. right. Yeah, so it's got men and besides women and children. You know, we're not going to count them. They're not as, <laughs> that's not important, which means that there were more, right? Because if you add the women and children that means that probably doubled or tripled the amount of people so it's cool that's that's what i want you to think about when we read this five thousand well, it is a lot different than thinking that oh they've had breakfast or lunch and they just wanted to come out and see this jesus dude and oh yeah it's getting late in the afternoon we better mm -hmm. feed them thinking that they have three meals a day when you realize that they're hungry to begin with right it it's a different perspective. Yeah. And I, and I, I never thought of it that way. I mean, I, I always looked at it. I mean, I never thought about it in the sense that they're already starving. I also never thought about it in the sense that Jesus was feeding them um, as introducing it as the, introducing it as the first fellowship dinner. And he's really just blessing the meal, right? Like a, as a, a father would at the house or, uh, a rabbi of, of a, a synagogue, and then and then this idea that we don't necessarily have to depend upon Rome. I never thought about it that way uh, until recently. And I always kind of looked at it. Well, oh, Jesus feeds five thousand people. That's a lot of barbecue, you know. 
I was also thinking, was the fish cooked? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, most likely. Pictures <laughs> of. Yeah, it's not sushi or sashimi. Yeah, yeah it's not if it's cooked fish. Yeah, they 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 uh, it's the uh, smoked or it's smoked like and they, they they fried fish. Yeah, that you could transport. Yeah, you always know, used to see the picture, of, and you know it was it was in a little basket, so the mm -hmm. fish were like more like sardines. <laughs> right. <laughs> You know, now with this, it's like, okay, they must have a well out there. Yeah, well, it's it it most likely in tilapia, if that helps, because there's a lot of tilapia in the Sea of Galilee. And I mean, it's it's amazing. That's what they eat all the time. So I was just going to say my understanding, and I don't know where I gathered this, other than, like you said, things just keep getting plugged in your head, and after a while, it comes back. That's my understanding the way that the early churches were. I mean, when there was 10 or 12 people meeting in a home, it was around. It said that they ate together and that they uh, shared everything they had. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, that Acts. so this is the idea I want us to get into this idea. If he starts with their basic needs, then it's just going to continue to expand. Right, so let's start reading there and see how far we go today. Uh, so remember, when he heard about John the Baptist, that's where we're, we've left off, and this is where we're beginning. So when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them and cured their sick. Now I want to pause right there. This. This is a good translation of this, but I want you to catch the nuances. He leaves because he's upset about John the Baptist dying. The crowd, when they heard it, they follow him on foot uh, from the towns. And then when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. So there's, there's a lot of thought that this, this person is um, riding in such a way that gives, that gives life. And the people around him want to give life back to him. So uh, that's almost as an homage or as in a, uh, um, how, how do I want to say this, as a honor. It's not that they were asking anything from him. When they heard that this had happened, they followed him, um, almost as if they're implying that they were trying to bring him comfort which we don't ever talk about. We just kind of move right past that. And then when he, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion for them. You see the, the switch there? And, and cured their sick, as if that's just what he does. When it was evening, the disciples came to him because most that they're not in this place. They didn't come to bring him comfort. Uh, they, they came to him and said, this is a deserted place, and the hour is now late. Send the crowds away so that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. And Jesus said to them, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. Listen to that language. You give some, them something to eat. Uh, they replied, we have nothing here but five loaves and two fish. Uh, and he said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds, this is the part I want you to listen to, to sit on the grass. 
And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds and all ate and were filled. And they took up what was left over of the broken pieces, 12 baskets full. And those who are who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Um, there's this theological thing that's here that I have to mention. Remember that when Jesus becomes the emperor, it's the end of an age. So I've got to use that fancy word again. So there's, there's this abundant eschatology that's being preached here, right? That <clears throat> when Jesus becomes in control, there will always be an abundance of food. When, when, when the end of this age is over, Jesus will always provide our, all of our needs, even beyond our imagining. That also takes place in this passage. Um, and again, we teach this in Sunday school. It's just in this really sweet and quaint. No, no, it's huge. <laughs> this is a gigantic statement. Um, <clears throat> and it is sweet and cute. Um, notice that he's modeling a task for his disciples in the feeding of the hungry. They hand him the loaves of fish, he hands it to them, and then they are to hand it to others. It's supposed to be the same way that we do to others today. God has blessed us, so it is our job to bless others, so on and so forth. Questions, comments? Okay, here it comes. The weirdest story of the gospel. Immediately. Uh, he made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But by the time the boat bat, uh, but by this time, the boat was battered by the waves. Uh, <laughs> but by this time, the boat battered by the waves, was far from the land. For the wind was against them, and early in the morning it came walking toward them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrifying, saying it is a ghost. What's the word there? Ghost, um, an apparition, phantasma, phantasma, ah, phantasma, fantastic. Like phantom, phantom, phantom yeah, like phantom, a fantastic ghost. Yeah, and they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, take heart in his eye, do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, uh, what's the Lord there? That's um, Kyrie. Oh, yeah. So this is a heavenly thing. This is not an earthly. Yeah. Okay. If it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he noticed the strong, uh, is this Numan? Animon. Animon. So the animated, that's where I, you know, animated, uh, there's not pneuma or wind there. No. Interesting. Animon. Animon. <clears throat> uh, he became frightened and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind, and that's, Animos again. wow, that's amazing. Uh, wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. 
Okay, so the reason I'm finding that fascinating that they're not using the word I, I thought they would is, is that then this means uh, historically that this is not something of God. Oh, just wind. Just wind. Wind is from God. Wind is from God, but, but it's they have not, two words for it. They have the two different words for uh, wind. Like so, if it's pneuma, there's something changing. Life, life is happening there. This is not that word. This is just literally there was wind on the earth. Um, in case you all wanted to go, well, hey, Josh, you always say that wind is this. It's not here. <laughs> now, we've talked about this type of story a lot in church and in Bible studies. Um, what do you remember about this as you were growing up? Jesus walking on the water. As long as Peter's focused, he's okay. Yeah. Oh, good. I mean, it's when he when, when he, he looks, looks around, then yeah. he takes his eyes off of Jesus. He thinks, he thinks. Yeah, yeah. He thinks about what he's doing. This is one of the first Bible stories I really remember hearing at a vacation Bible school, and it was told to me by a a man with a with a puppet, and the puppet was asking him questions and stuff like that. So I have, you know, warm, fuzzy feelings when I, yeah, me when too. I hear the story. <laughs> and uh, the, the way he told the story, and for kids, it was kind of neat, but he was talking about how Peter was on a wave and Jesus was on a wave and the waves are going up and down. Well, uh, when when they were down on a wave, the wave between them was up and Peter couldn't see Jesus anymore. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> so, uh, and it's just, I don't know if that's true. I don't know if it's true. It I like very, the image. It was a, yeah, it was kind of just a fun image as as a as a I'm, kid. I'm impressed you can remember a story. From oh, I remember. <laughs> Let me tell you, this this guy. I mean, this one looked great. I don't remember. Was, it's probably one of the reasons why I'm a Christian today is because of this man with his puppet, <laughs> Willie the Wolf. I'm telling you. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> I mean, that vacation is. Bible school and Sunday school, those things, they have so much impact we don't even know about sometimes. That's true. <laughs> The other part to me is the disciples constantly have to have the miracles. Yeah. I mean, you know, again, yeah, they say not. son of God, but you already yeah, knew that. Son, I mean, yeah, you already knew that, we thought. Yeah, and notice that they use son of God, not son of man here. Yes. This is, that's important. They, they do this, that son of God is, you are not of us. That's a declaratory statement. This is, this is a big deal. Uh, I, I I've always I've always loved preaching this sermon or this little passage uh, because it, it is very easy for us to relate to. You know, we we can we can get on the boat, but oh my gosh, when the storm's coming, we're we're out. And and you know, and I and I've used this in a lot of different ways. I, I think a lot of times churches, for example, as a collective entity, find that change is happening and they're on this boat together and the waves come crashing in and we feel like it's so much like it's we feel like we're almost drowning and somehow jesus calms the storm and we still sink my favorite part about this is that again i because i think i'm becoming a fanboy of dr carter but but there's this image of god reaching down and saving us from the the storm in the form of Jesus saving Peter. Um, I also find that passage of scripture very powerful. That God always, whether we see it or not, 
will reach out and save us when the storms are overwhelming. Um, and again, it's it's an easy one to use for kids. Uh, they get it. What's the one thing that kids are mostly afraid of? Storms. Storms and water. Some of them are afraid of swimming. Yeah, swimming. Unless they unless they've had you know a pool or grew up on the lake, they they're terrified of water. And a lot of times <clears throat> nowadays, you at the lake or in a pool or on the beach, you can hear people say or joke about walking on water. They they use yeah. this mm -hmm. as <laughs> yeah, like I'm walking on water and you know yeah. walking on a in a puddle or <laughs> they still refer to this. Yeah, you know, we criticize Peter for losing faith in Jesus, but I mean, he got out of the boat. Yeah, he's the, right. only, he's the only one that did. did. <laughs> right. What did the other disciples, what, what were they doing? And what did they do when they saw Peter get out of the boat? Yeah, <laughs> that's a good example. You can't depend on your friends. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's it's a it's it, you know, I'm glad you all caught that because part of the part of the problem with this is the disciples, other than Peter, get mentioned a lot. They don't they don't they just hear the story. They don't get the story. Peter somehow always responds, always, whether it's the right way or the wrong way. <laughs> He still responds. Mm -hmm. James and John, they they get to be there with him, but they're, Peter is supposed to be the, the the person. He's the church. He's the church. Mm -hmm. You know, so this is. And he still sings. And, and he still sings. <laughs> That's exactly right. But what happens? What happens? God reaches down and pulls him out, even in his own fear. Beautiful passage. Well, let's keep going because we're on a roll. Uh, when they had crossed over, they came to a land at Genesaret. After the people of that place recognized him, they sent word throughout the region and brought all who were sick to him and begged him that they may touch even the fringe of his cloak. And all, all who touched it were healed. Um, and it's just nothing major, but this idea that Jesus's ministry is continuing to take over uh, Rome's property one by one. Well, it's also kind of telling you a little bit. You can take a little bit, but you get a lot. Right. I mean, you know, like going to, you, you could go to church one year or something, but you don't realize you're going to get a lot out of that in that year. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think the Gospel of Matthew writer is wanting you to say, hear that. Like this takes one step at a time. Can I ask a question? Yes, about please. Dr. Carter, since you're a fanboy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, you know, we, the thing that you were reading and, and commenting on about the feeding 5,000 being almost like the first potluck dinner, you know, like everybody mm -hmm. was contributing and, and the, the, the miraculous takes a little bit of a backseat to it or, or maybe possibly mm -hmm. didn't, didn't happen according what your perspective might be. What is Dr. Carter's perspective on Jesus healing the sick? Sort of the same thing, like no. he motivated people to go and to help. You know what I mean? Yes. So Dr. Carter, I mean, in, in the class, that's what Jesus is known for as being a healer. And if he's the healer and we're his students, then we too have the ability to heal. That's the miraculous part. And, right. and for him, even the feeding of the 5,000, the miraculous of in that moment was it's a miracle in the sense that Jesus was able to do this in spite 
of the oppression of Rome. Okay. Yeah, you and mentioned the starvation element. The starvation yeah. element is the biggest part that he would, I, I think he would, I think I was reading part of it and I didn't read what he wrote in his commentary here, but uh, but that that's a big part. Like for example, he says, oh, remember we read before that Herod's extravagant banquet, right mm -hmm. before this in chapter 14, he talks about how this is the, the antithesis of that. Okay. The contrast. Yeah, the yeah. contrast where, where Herod is just feeding his people. Uh, uh, God feeds all of creation. So this that's a miracle all by itself. Yeah. So there's, yeah, I, I, I tend to do that sometimes. I don't mean to. It's, there is the aspect of the miraculous faith perspective of this that I believe. You know, I don't say that right. enough. And I think that Dr. Carter, I'm fully convinced that he actually believes it, but as an academic, he wants us to have both perspectives. Yeah, I, I get that too. You know? And especially you want to evaluate, you want to, you want to study it from every possible angle inside. Right. Uh, so, but I just wasn't sure where he stood maybe on miraculous just from. Oh yeah, no, it was so. the, the, the walking on the water. I, I was literally looking at it. He says, uh, God's saving powers revealed to the disciples through Jesus as he controls the sea and rescues them and the doubting Peter. Uh, and then he goes into saying the feeding of the people, the scene also instructs disciples about the reliance on Jesus's power in tough times. Uh, and it's just this beautiful language that he uses. So, so Jesus brings healing at his banquets and Herod brings death. 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 <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. So let's keep going. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, why do your disciples break from the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands before they eat. This is an interesting Torah-based discussion that is weird, um, but we'll get into that in a second. Uh, for God said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever speaks evil of your father and mo mother must surely die. I mean, that is directly from the book of Exodus. Um, but you say that uh, whoever tells your father and mother, whatever support you might have had from me is given to God, then that person need not honor the father. So for the sake of your tradition, that's how they use that word, you make void the word. Is this Logos? Um, this is about right before verse 7. Word of God. Oh, logo, yeah. Okay, logo. So that anytime that you see uh, the word logo or the many forms of it, this is uh, God speaking, but it's also used for law. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a weird thing. So like even in this translation, it says some say that others say read law or oh. as commandment, the law or commandment of God. So it's an interesting dialogue. Uh, you hypocrites, he says. <laughs> Isaiah prophesied rightly about you when he said, These, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain they do worship me, teaching human precepts as doctrines. Um, and I'm just going to keep going because this, this is all still the same idea. Then he called the crowd to him and said to them, Listen and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but it is what comes out of the mouth that defiles. Then the disciples, excuse me, approached him and said to him, do you know 
that the Pharisees took offense when they heard what you said? He answered, I love this part. Every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. And if one blind person guides another, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, explain this parable to us. Uh, then he said, are you still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth enters the stomach and goes out into the sewer? Ha, 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 ha. I see that Jewish humor there. Uh, uh, but when comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this is what defiles. For out of the heart comes evil intentions and murder and adultery and fornication, theft, false witness, and slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile. They did slander, and the word is blasphemy. They should have used blasphemy. They should have used blasphemy. Exact word. Yeah. And when it says um, back when back when it's Jesus talking, oh, when the disciples having heard the word and taken offense in twelve, it's logon again. Yeah. So then now that's now that's changing because that that you see how that word flipped. The mm -hmm. top one was the command of God logo, and more like law. And then this one is. Jesus speaking, so it's his, his, the word of God. Logo is a weird word that they use in Greek all the time, and it goes, in, and you have to be real careful, <clears throat> especially like when it, is it talking about Torah or is it God? In Matthew, he uses them interchangeably. So how would the common people know the difference between, I'm going to just say the Ten Commandments and the 613 laws i mean you know because to some extent this is what he's saying here is yeah. you know y'all are all wrapped up in your laws you know pay heed to what god has told you because not all of those laws i struggle to think all those laws they have were from god oh no i mm. i mean because, you should struggle <laughs> well i mean you know because if not, if nothing else jesus is just saying that yeah forget about those god laws i mean you know yeah the, and he's he's and he's not going to say that he's paying homage to them but he's also showing the fallacy of some of the laws that we've created you need to wash your hands before this stuff and they're like listen we just healed a whole bunch of people what do you want <laughs> like literally just healed them in my mind, I can see the crowd too. I mean, if they if they're starving and poor, they're also dirty, right? right? And they and they also work, <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, right. So these are all labor. And here's the Pharisee saying, you know, "Wash my hands." And they're not bad laws. I just struck. Yeah. I just they're not. They're not from God. <laughs> I mean, yeah. This is and I and I have to be careful how I say that, Robert, because you know, as this recording is going on, I, I'm thinking of people that would say. But they are laws of God. Well, yeah, yeah, sure they are. And and just just like the the law of God is, I don't I don't I don't know what the today's equivalent would be. But you know, spitting on the sidewalk in Oklahoma was a blue law that you could get arrested for in the city of McAllister. They're they're definitely external laws. You know what I mean? It's yeah. about I mean, it's sure it's supposed to represent something spiritual, but it's physically about washing your hands which you're actually helping me with my answer in my head so think okay so yeah yeah this works all right so think about it this way 
if the Jewish faith is all about community, and I mean that sincerely, that you can't be Jewish by yourself, if they're all about community, then you've got to take care of your widows and orphans. That's number one, right? That's a big one that they get in trouble for. And then everything else you do is to help that community. So they were obviously the dietary law. That was that was a thing that they figured out was they've watched all these other cultures and they're like, yeah, we shouldn't eat like them. Bad things happen. Uh, washing the hands right before they eat. We've watched all the Romans. They get sick. They they didn't. I know. I don't want to be graphic, but we know what they do in the bathrooms because they're public bathrooms. And you should wash your hands before you eat because of that thing because that's nasty. Um, and and so those things would be good for the community in the name of God. There it is. That's what I was trying to say. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Robert. I'm not saying it's not from God. It's just. No, I know. I just not. It didn't make the top ten. No, there I you mean, go. They're not the ten. The, not the ten commandments, but they're supposed to be uh, lifting them up. Even though, I would, I would venture to say um, that yeah, I, I don't know if that God sat down with the ancient people of Leviticus and Deuteronomy and said, "You shall do this," and we have no anthropological proof that they were all followed you know just the ones picking an example too to me is like so maybe even us we start off with these noble intentions you know we want to do things right a certain way but yet we turn it into to sin basically sure you know that, that god's not pleased with when we're sort of started off trying to do it i, I remember c.s lewis saying you know they say a mother's love is one of the highest loves that there is but what if a woman uh, loves her her son so much but he's an evil son and he's he's murdering people and doing things like that Talk about Nero. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Nero. Yeah. and then he kills his own mom so, you know? in that case if she's not trying to turn her son over to authorities is a mother's love a good thing at that point you know so it's yeah no this is and this is i think this is goes right with robert's question because these are human laws supposed to help us with our faith but are they from God? I think that's the struggle. And, and that's where the Pharisees are standing. And that's what the I mean, Pharisees, that's and, their whole job. Yeah. <laughs> you take that away from them. They're like, well, what yeah, am I supposed thing. to do? Yeah. I got to get, I got to work now. Yeah, that's right. I have to go heal people. Well, let's, let's, let's pick, piggyback off of that. So if you've got this community of people, they're struggling with these laws of their faith, Leviticus and Deuteronomy, what do you do with people that are outside the community that somehow find God in spite of you? <laughs> so Jesus left that place and went away to the district of Tyre and Sidon, or Sidon. Just then a Canaanite woman uh, from that region came out and started shouting, have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. <clears throat> But he did not answer her at first or at all. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she keeps shouting after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Oh my gosh. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. He answered, It is not fair to take away the children's food and throw it to the dogs. So she said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Love this. 
Then Jesus answered her, woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed instantly. Uh, and then after Jesus had left that place, he passed along the Sea of Galilee and went up the mountain where he sat down and great crowds came to him, bringing with him the lame, the maimed, the blind, the mute, and many others. They put him at his feet and he cured them so that the crowd was amazed when they saw the mute speaking and the maimed whole, the lame walking, <clears throat> and the blind seeing, and they praised the God of Israel. Let's pause there. Questions, comments? He was only sent there for the Jews. Well, it's the first time we've heard him say that. Yeah. And I would assume that all of those, most of those people there would have known he was the God of Israel. Mm -hmm. So it seems strange that they're stating it here. I mean, they're. It's weird. Um, I mean, I know I'm not of a Jewish lineage. So when I hear this story, it's encouraging to me that, wait, wait I'm, I'm not Jewish, but there's hope for me. <laughs> that's the hope. <laughs> that's, that's literally the job there. And they win. But it took a Canaanite to change Jesus's mind. I mean, it's it's not going to happen quickly. No, <laughs> and and he's specific about what happens. She knelt before me and said, "Lord, is it Lord?" So she's acknowledging him as the, the heavenly Lord. <clears throat> she kneels before him, begs him to heal her daughter, and he does. So what does that say to you as a Gentile, Ted, <laughs> that you've got to you kneel and uh, yeah. proclaim him as Lord? I see. Yeah. So even all of us in this room, that's all of us that do that, this is, that's the language. That's what's hard. And it doesn't, it doesn't work that way, right? This is a theological conversation. This is not something that uh, makes a whole lot of sense. And he's not really asking for healing. In this story, this story is about acknowledging Jesus as God on earth or the, the new emperor who will bring these things. But... It's a weird story. Like, I don't, I don't like it very much. She gets to argue with him, too. And she gets yeah, to argue with him. I mean, it doesn't happen a whole lot. No, women still weren't supposed to speak back then. It's definitely not. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, I did think about that part, too. And she's a Canaanite woman. She's not allowed to, to speak to him. He isn't supposed to talk to her anyway. No, she's right. not Jewish. And, and it shows it. Because look at what it says. He didn't even speak to her at all before he even says anything. She's persistent. She's That's persistent. Right. Yeah. There it is. Persistent faith. Really. Persistent faith is what he acknowledges. And he heals her daughter as if it's just it's a byproduct. It's the persistent leading of her faith towards him as the son of God. I was no. going to say, does she have the faith at that time? I don't know. I mean, he had faith in she Jesus. Would heal. Sure. She said, yeah. have mercy, Lord, son of David. 
she was pretty sure he could or she wouldn't have gone to all that trouble and i think that's what matthew's trying to show us here isn't it sort of a i don't know a whole lot but is there some torah or anything like that where where jews do kind of argue with god or have discussions oh, yeah. with you know that happens all the way through the holy hebrew bible if you can't argue yeah, if you're not arguing with God, then there's something wrong based right. off of the prophet's life. But it was a man, not a woman. Well, yeah. Know. Interestingly enough, yeah, you have true. women in the Hebrew Bible that argue with God also. Think of, uh, oh my gosh, I just lost her name. Hagar. Hagar. She argues with God. Uh, her, <laughs> my brain is not functioning. Isaiah. Isaac, which was uh, Ishmael. Ishmael, her son Ishmael. She says to, "Hey, listen, God, you, you, I did these things. This is not what my my was my doing. Uh, the father of Ishmael said, this is what we're doing. I'm doing what I'm supposed to because I'm a servant.' And she has this argument with God, and she names him like no one else in the whole Bible gets to do that. Like it's crazy what she gets away with. However. She's one of very few of the women that get to do that. In the, in the whole Hebrew Bible, none of the men would ever be audacious enough to do something like that. So yeah, there's a, there's a struggle here. There's this persistent draw to Jesus as the image and the ambassador of God that draws even Canaanites and Samaritans and us Gentile people. Um, and he has to navigate what that looks like. Does he not show some of his humanity here, though? I mean, yes, I, I think there's a little bit of humanity. I think that Matthew is really trying to show you that he's a good Jewish man. He's not talking to the Canaanite woman until she acknowledges him as the son of God. I don't mean to be pessimistic, but yeah. I think he does better at the feeding stories showing humanity than he does with the healing story sometimes. There's an audacity to Jesus's healings that I like, right? Because I want Jesus to be audacious with his healing. But I think that is his real moments of compassion and humanity is, is when he takes care of their basic needs. Um, but we have to stop the recording at this point. So, uh, but before we do that, I, I, I'm not going to read 32 to 39, but it's the same story with a thousand less people but that means he fed over nine thousand men and a whole bunch of women and children so we'll pick up right there at chapter 16 next week but i want you to notice that this is those are the moments and i think matthew is trying to show that human component by taking care of their human basic needs he's not done the second feeding is a different group than the that's right it's yeah. a different group and a whole different group of people okay. geographically so we'll stop the recording there.